you're listening to the Living Word Church Podcast. To learn more about Living Word Church and our service times, visit us online at livingwordli.org. Today's message comes from our lead pastor, Doug Jansen. All right, so uh, we're going to start with a little experiment today. So first things first, I just need everyone to raise your hand. Everyone raise your hand real quick. Everybody, everybody, everybody. Okay, I want you to put your hand down when I mention the grade that you'd stop being able to help a child with math, okay? So kindergarten, first, second, third, fourth, right around there. A bunch of you guys went down there. Five, six, okay, middle school. Keep your hands up for middle school. Keep your hands up for high school now. College? Wow, really? Some of you guys are really good at math or complete liars, but it's amazing. We got, a, we got an awesome hand right here. That's great. So um, today, as we look into the scriptures, um, we're going to see something interesting, maybe something that you didn't expect today, but I, I'm not great with math. I probably would have put my hand down around like fifth or sixth grade, and I find that one of my favorite things in the whole world, some of my favorite phrases are FaceTime grandma or ask your brother because my, my mother-in-law is a math genius and my son is becoming a math genius. And so I'm so grateful for my younger two that they have those people that they can look to. But we're going to discover in the scriptures that, that numbers are really important. And like anything we can look at in the Bible, sometimes people take numbers a little too far. And uh, like anything good in the scriptures that people can kind of get obsessed with and start to apply to things that they don't really apply to, we're not going to do that. We're just going to see today that God is a pretty incredible God and can speak and communicate some things in some pretty powerful ways. But that's not all we're going to look at here today. Um, We're going to also work through some questions that this chapter of Daniel brings up. And this is what we've been doing here in this series. We've been not like saying, hey, what would be some good themes to talk to the church about. We've just been going through the book of Daniel and letting questions and answers kind of come as we go through these chapters. And so we're in part seven today. And I think if you're a skeptic today, if you're doubtful about God, if you have questions about Jesus and and you're like, I don't know if I could take all this stuff seriously, this might encourage you because we're going to look at something really interesting today. But, But first, let's get to a few of our questions we're going to answer today. And I pray this applies to many of our lives. The first question that we're going to see today is what do we do in desperate situations? Some of us are there right now. I've been very candid about what my family's going through with my wife and her health. And many of you walked with us through so many things over so many years. And and her health's just in a really bad place right now. And we're just crying out to God for some some crazy answers and believe in him for things. But but many of you are there yourself. You got your own desperate situations. And so what do we do there? Uh, Question two, if God is sovereign, why pray? The name of the series is Sovereign King or Sovereign God. And it's like, okay, so um, if God's sovereign, then why do we need to pray? And we've been touching on this a good bit throughout the series, like because I think that word sovereign throws us. If God's sovereign, it means he's going to do what he's going to do. So do we even matter? Like, do our prayers matter? Do our choices matter? Do our decisions matter? And so we're going to continue to drill down on that today. Question three, do any of us need to get real with God about our sin today? This is going to be a theme here in the chapter. And I don't say this to come down on you. Maybe you're like, oh, great. I went to church. God was talking about sin. Like, what an amazing thing that God invites us out of our sin. That he invites us to him for forgiveness and grace and mercy, but he also wants to really rescue us out of so many different things that are pitfalls in our lives, like things that are out to kill, honestly, at the end of the day and, and destroy our satisfaction. And so he says, hey, I got a better way, right? Question four, what heart should we have toward people who aren't living for God? 
I think that sometimes as we think about people at our offices and our neighborhoods and our schools and our families and friends, it's like, how am I supposed to interact with them and what's my heart supposed to be like toward them? You know, are, are, am I angry at them? Am I not angry at them? Am I happy about them? Am I, like, how do I reach them for God? And, and what heart really is all this supposed to flow out of? Question number five, does keeping the Old Testament law save us? If not, what is it there for, okay? Um, some of you guys probably know the answer to that first question, but the second question is like, I don't really know why the law is in the Old Testament, so we're gonna dive into that. And lastly, can I trust what the Bible says about Jesus? Everybody say, I'm ready. All right, we gotta go for it today, all right? We're gonna go in deep today. And so these are vital things for every Christian to know, and if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're not a Christian, you're trying to just figure some of this out, I really think you'll be impacted today and that it can be some things that really strengthen your faith and point you to God. Um, uh, we, we know Daniel was taken as a teen from Babylon. He's been serving random kings in um, the, 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 the nation of Babylon now for many, many years. When we first caught up with him, he was a teenager, and now he's an old man. And we'll see this in da Daniel 9, verse 1. It says, In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom. So a few chapters ago, we caught up with him, and he was like 86 years old. He's a little younger now. He's 70 here. And it says in the next part, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah. Everybody say Jeremiah. Jeremiah the prophet that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So what does this mean? It means that God told Jeremiah that Jerusalem, which had been destroyed, would stay destroyed for 70 years before it was rebuilt, okay? And I think it's so amazing that we know that Daniel and Jeremiah were contemporaries. Like, they lived at the same time and they ministered at the same time. I just think that's amazing because I think often we think of these people in the Bible like they don't know each other, there's no interaction, but, but these guys lived at the same time and God used them powerfully at the same time. And I often use this example. It's kind of like for any superhero fans or comic book fans in the crowd. It's like when you find out that they're in the same universe, like those same people know each other and are on kind of on the same team. That's what we see here with Daniel and Jeremiah. And I just love that the Bible is so rich. Like, it's a reminder that, you know, Daniel wrote a book of the Bible, Jeremiah wrote a book of the Bible, and the Bible isn't just a book. It's a collection of books all about the same thing, all about the same God. And about once a year, I like to just read something with you guys that reminds you how incredible the Bible is. And it's something that Josh McDowell wrote, and then I kind of added my own thoughts at the end, and we're going to read it on the screens. And you know you get to my thoughts when I start adding exclamation points, because I like exclamation points a lot, okay? So here we go. It says, the Bible was written over about a 1,500-year span, written by more than 40 authors from every walk of life, kings, military leaders, peasants, fishermen, scholars, poets, musicians, shepherds, and more, written in different places, written in different times, written during different moods, written on three continents, Asia, Africa, Europe, written in three languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, Greek, yet they all fit together perfectly. Most of these people didn't even know each other, but their message is the same. Some of the books of the Bible, like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Kings, and Chronicles, and Isaiah, and Micah, tell the same stories, but were written by different people. People. And it's all about the same God. But, but somebody might say, well, I know what happened. Somebody, like one person, wrote the whole Bible, and then they put different names on it, and they, 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 they tried to make it look like it had been written in different times and different languages. But that's just not historically true. Like the way the Bible came together, different parts of the Bible were found in different places, different continents, different languages, different time periods, and translated from one to another. And it's just incredible. You can trust what the Bible has to say. There's no book like it. But Jerusalem is in ruins, and it's weighing on Daniel, and Daniel's in a desperate situation. He hates that his land is going to be decimated for 70 years. And so 
How does he respond to this? Which leads us to question number one. What do we do in desperate situations? Here it goes. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition and fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. What, what do we do in desperate situations? We pray. We cry out to God. We ask him to come through. That's what I'm doing for my wife right now. I pray for her health. I pray that God will touch her. I pray that she'll be healed with all that she's gone through and the hospital visits and all the different doctors seeing her right now, that God will touch her in power. And we see a couple of different things said in that verse. We hear about fasting and praying. What's fasting? Fasting is just really giving something up to, to spend more passion and attention on your relationship with God. It's, it's like giving up, you know, in our day and age, like give up some social media for a while and spend the time you would have spent looking at reels for seven hours a day, you know, spend some time praying, give up TV for some time, give up coffee or Starbucks. I know I just said that. I'm sorry, everybody. Is that right? I said that. Okay. Give up coffee, give up something. And it's not like a works thing. It's that you're not earning anything by what you give up. You're just that much more going with passion and attention to God. It's a powerful thing. Some of you guys are in a desperate situation, and I would encourage you to do some fasting and some praying. Now, he mentioned, mentioned sackcloth and ashes. What's that about? Well, they would take these, this itchy material called sackcloth, and they would put it on their bodies, and it would itch, and it would be uncomfortable, and it would be a sign of mourning. It was an external signal of what was going on internally. They were mourning on the inside, so they made themselves uncomfortable on the outside. They put the ash all over them to signify that they were sinful and that there was this, like there was this sin inside of them, they were showing others their sin on us, right? So it was this outward thing of an inward condition. I know when I see my kids uh, for the first time in the morning, what's going on? I, uh, they come out a certain way. Like I know if it's like, hey, I'm up for the day and everything's great, or if it's like, I'm just going to the bathroom and going back to bed, don't talk to me, okay? I know it's an outward sign of an inward condition. Like, like you know, I'm up for the day and I'm good, or I'm technically still asleep, and if you talk to me, you might lose a limb. Like, like those are very obvious just by their outward expression. And so this is what the people would do in Daniel's day, and it's not something that we should do because the New Testament church never did sackcloth and ashes. We have a different relationship with God than they did back in the day, but it was common in Daniel's day. So Daniel prays. He goes, God, move. God, change the condition of our nation. Question two, if God is sovereign, why pray? Like, are, are we just like mindless participants, participants with God? No, our, our prayers matter, right? Um, Tom Constable says this, Daniel, he viewed prayer properly as one means that God used to accomplish his will in human history. Through prayer, I love this, we become partners. Everybody say partners. Partners with God in bringing his will to pass in the world. God wants a relationship with us. Why should we pray? Well, yeah, it makes a difference, but it also brings us near to God. It brings us close to him. It causes us to lean on him, depend on him, and to see the outcome of different things that he's done. And to know that we were partnering with him is just so incredibly powerful. We're going to touch on this a little bit more as we go, but it brings us to the next question in these next few verses. Verse 4, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love. Everybody say covenant of love. I don't know how you came in today if you were thinking, man, God's a covenant of anger. God has a covenant of hate. God, no, it's a covenant of love. He loves us. He loves you. As a covenant of love for those who love him and keep his commands, we have sinned and done wrong. We've been wicked and have rebelled. We've turned away from your commands and laws. We've not listened to your servants and the prophets who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. Daniel just going, God, there's sin in our hearts. It leads to question three. Do any of us need to get real with God today about the sin in our lives? 
Is there anybody here today? We just need to go, God, I got some stuff happening and I just need to bring it to you because I don't want to be doing things you don't want me to do. And yes, we're imperfect, right? But, but are there patterns of sin? And I would just encourage you, uh, God's inviting us to freedom. Like he's inviting us away from those things that confine and restrict and cause death in our lives. And he's inviting us into freedom and closeness with him. As he says, hey, let me pull you out of that sin struggle. And he partners with us. Like we partner with him in prayer, he partners with us as we overcome sin struggles in our lives. And I always say it this way. He does the heavy lifting. My dad's right here, big guy. My whole life, he's helped me do work projects around the house. And whenever I've needed to pick something up, I hate to say it, but my man over here has done 90% of the lifting. And I'm like, here, dad, let me help you a little bit, you know? Or dad's a great craftsman, and so if he's building something on the house, like, you know, 90% of his job is build, and 10% is tell Doug to go get a tape measure and a pencil, right, and a donut, right? Because it's not, he's doing the heavy lifting. I'm just there to look pretty, I guess. I don't know. But, but, like, he's there doing the heavy lifting. And, guys, as we go to the Lord and we say, God, here's what's going on in my life. I got sin in my life. I got stuff happening in my life. Rescue me. Help me. Like, he does the heavy lifting in our lives. And so is there anything you need to go to him today? Say, Lord, I've been up to some stupid stuff, and I'm just ready today to give it to you. I'm ready today to ask for help, forgiveness, and your strength at work in my life. You know, I think that we believe two lies about sin. I think we believe that it's great, and I think that we believe we have forever to get right with God. We think our sin is so wonderful, and that's a complete lie. It always takes us to places that we never wanted to go. And we think we just have forever. Like I had two friends growing up, and they, their Christian was incredibly, uh, excuse me, their family was incredibly Christian at church every time the doors were open. And these guys knew the truth about God, knew the truth about Jesus. And yet they said, we know that Jesus is real. We know he died. He rose again. We just don't want him right now. And decades later, both of these guys are in a relationship with God, but they also have decades of regret because they went those decades apart from a relationship with Jesus. Man, is there anything you and I just need to go to the Lord? He loves you. He loves you so much. I love to forgive my kids. Like if they come to me and they're like, Dad, this, that, and the other, and we did this, and that. Like I love to forgive my kids. Imagine I'm imperfect. I have an evil heart. A great, perfect God loves to forgive you and me. And so just I would ask if there's something going on, man, bring it to him today. Bring it to him. Ask him for his help and his forgiveness. Question four. What heart should we have toward people who aren't living for God? I love this, okay? Now, you might not realize it, but we already got the answer to this in the verses that we read. And I'll just remind you, as we read through it just a few minutes ago, Daniel kept saying things like this, God, we've sinned. God, we're far from you. God, our hearts have rebelled. Did you notice something? Everybody say we. Okay, he said we. He didn't say they're sinful. They're far from you. They've done wrong things. They've rebelled. He says we. And what heart do we have toward those who aren't living for God, don't know lo uh, the Lord? It's a heart of compassion, right? It's a heart of we. It's a heart of, God, our nation is far from you, not just those people. Our island needs you, God, not just those people. Our schools need you, God, not just those people like we do, right? It just changes everything. And we're going to dig a little bit deeper into this. But if anybody could have said they, it was Daniel. Because what do we know about Daniel as we've studied the book of Daniel so far? He's a guy of incredible integrity. Incredible integrity. Like he stood up for God when nobody else did. If anybody could have said they, it was Daniel. But he says we. Right? He identifies with the people in his community, his nation. He says, Lord, we're far from you. I think of the scripture that says, if my people will humble themselves and pray, I'll heal their land. 
doesn't say, if those people will humble themselves. It says, my people will humble themselves. It starts with his people. It starts with us. Saying, God, forgive us. We need you. Right? It goes on here. Verse 7. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far and all the countries where you've scattered us because of your, our unfaithfulness to you. We and our kings, our princes and our ancestors are covered with shame, Lord, because we have sinned against you. Do you notice how many times he said we in there? Were you counting? Four. Four times he says, we, God, we've done what's wrong. And I, I think, you know, some of us might say, wait, Doug, you're telling me I should say we to identify with the people around me who are sinning, and I'm trying not to sin. I'm trying to live for the Lord. Why would I do that? Oh, you mean like Jesus did for us? Is he identified with us? So much to the point that he became one of us, and he walked with us shoulder to shoulder, and he died for us and rose from the dead? Man, what a powerful thing it is to come alongside them and represent them to God. Instead of uh, us against them thing, it should be an us interceding for them thing just changes our whole heart. And I think as Christians, we can really struggle with this. We kind of shake our fists and we point and we talk about all the things that's wrong with the world. But Daniel doesn't do that. He goes, we. God, we. When I was a kid, one of my favorite Christian metal bands was a band called Mad at the World. I have a picture here for you. There they are. <laughs> a better name might have been Mad at Our Hairdresser. I don't know. That's, that's a little rough, right? Let's just take that down so no one leaves right now. But uh, and, and, and as a kid, I remember being like, what a cool name, man, man of the world. And then as I'm growing and I'm like growing my relationship with God, I'm like, that's a horrible name. Like, Jesus wasn't mad at the world. In fact, Jesus had a different nickname, the friend of sinners. Just think about that. Like, what more looks like you and me, mad at the world or friend of sinners? Because that's what Jesus lived out for us. And that's really what Daniel modeled here. And so it's a heart of compassion as we pray. Uh, verse 9, the Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we've rebelled against him. So the Lord's ready to forgive. He's ready to jump on the grace that he pours out on us. And then it says in verse 10, we've not obeyed the Lord our God or excuse me, kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, their servant of God, have been poured out on us because we've sinned against you. And Daniel brings up something important here. He brings up this idea that they hadn't kept the laws, that they'd sinned and done what is wrong. In fact, 15 times in this chapter, he brings this fact up, which leads us to question five. Does keeping the Old Testament laws save us? I think a lot of us know the answer to that, but I don't think a lot of us know necessarily the second part. If not, what is it there for? So does keeping the Old Testament law save us? No, keeping no laws will ever save us. We needed Jesus to come and be that savior, right? So what's the law there for? Well, first off, it was there to act like a restraint. Okay, like you know when you're driving in your car, you put that seatbelt on, you smash into something, the seatbelt acts like a restraint to hold you back from smashing into whatever is in front of you. And the law was put there to be a restraint for the people. And so there was things like don't murder because the people were murdering each other. They need to be held back from that. People were lying to each other. They were stealing from each other. So the law was put there to hold them back. But there's a second, much greater reason the law was given. Everybody look at me real quick. The law was given to show us that we needed Jesus and we couldn't keep it. The law was given to show us I can't do this, right? Like, like the whole Old Testament, everybody's going, God, we can't keep these laws. And God's going, I know. That's why I'm going to send Jesus. That's why I'm going to send a Savior. That's why I, I prayed earlier, you know, we think about religion. Like religion doesn't save us. We need Jesus to rescue and to save us. When I was in college, 
I had a really great professor. He, he marched us all outside one day, and, and my college was up on the side of a hill, and so we came to a certain plateau, and he had you know, 30 or 40 of our students standing there. He said, I want you to go up this staircase. There's a 200-step staircase that led up to the next uh, tier. He said, I want you to get up the hill, but you're not allowed to walk on the ground. You can't touch the ground. And there was a railing, and there were some trees and stuff, so some of my friends were trying to pull themselves up the railing. Some of my friends were like swinging tree to tree until they'd fall, and, and nobody made it more than 10 feet. And then eventually, everybody looked back at my professor and were like, it's impossible. And he's like, yeah, exactly. There's only one way up this hill, right? You have to walk up this path. That's the only way. And the same is true with our relationship with Jesus. There's only one way to God. There's only one way to heaven. There's only one way to forgiveness. And we're often trying to pull ourselves up the railing. We're swinging from limb to limb to try to rescue ourselves. It's only through Jesus that we find salvation. And so the law was there to protect, but to show us we needed Savior. Verse 12, you fulfilled the word spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing on us a great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. So, so Israel's going through at this time a really difficult time of discipline. And like a good parent, you know, God disciplines, right? And he wants to rescue us back. And so he allows these things to happen to the nation of Israel at that time. And they were pretty awful, Everybody, like they didn't just like miss their nighttime prayers or something, and God came out with all this harsh discipline. Let me just read you Daniel's own words from, from these verses. He says, Sin, wrong, wickedness, rebellion, turning away, not listening, unfaithfulness, transgression, and disobedience. Daniel's own words about his people at that time. Verse 13. Just as, as, excuse me, as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. Daniel's saying, even in this time of discipline, we're not looking to you. Parents in the room, aren't there times we discipline our kids and we're like, all right, this is finally going to get them, you know? Like, this is going to be the thing, right? I, I, you know, finally, uh, that, that, that last threat got them, and they still won't look to the right way. And that, sometimes that's us. And this was the nation of Israel right now. Verse 14, the Lord did not hesitate to bring this disaster on us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we've not obeyed him. Now, Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned, we have done wrong. Again, Daniel just calls it for what it is. Does any of us need to get real with God today about some sin in our lives? Don't put it off. I think of the man in the scriptures who said, you know, or, or Jesus told the story about a man who was rich and he was living for the moment and he was all excited about what he could do right then and there and he didn't care about the things of God and, and God says back to him, don't you know this very night your life will be taken from you, right? We don't wait. We don't wait. We don't, we don't do it out of fear. We respond to a loving God, but let's, let's be wise. Let's go to the Lord with the things we need to bring to him. Verse 16, Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. All right, here we go. Now let's turn a corner. Now, our God, hear the prayers. Everybody say, hear. And petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look. Everybody say, look. With favor on your desolate sanctuary, give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. Daniel turned the corner. He goes... You know, up to this point, he says, God, we've sinned, we've sinned, we've done what's wrong. And now he turns the corner and he goes, God, but hear and see and move and change. You know, there's this like attention grabbing of Daniel, of God right now. When my youngest son Landon was young and he would call our name a few times and we were distracted doing something else, eventually he would just come right over to us and just grab our face and just turn it right toward his face. 
And like his nose would be right here, you know, like nose to nose with Landon. He still, he would just still hold your face. Like he wouldn't let you go, even though you're looking at him now. And he would ask you some really important question, like, can I have some yoo-hoo or something, you know, but right, just pull it. And I think that Daniel, it's like he's trying to turn the face of God toward him right here in this moment, if I could say it that way. He's going here, Lord, see what's going on with our nation and move. He says, we do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. And we learn something powerful about prayer right here, everybody. When we pray, we don't go, God, look, at, look what I did for you. We're all tempted to do that sometimes, right? Especially if we're fasting and praying. God, I gave up coffee for you, right? Like, pay attention, right? Like, I think that we're tempted to do that sometimes. And I just love Daniel's modeling of this here. He says, God, it's not because of me. It's because of you. Like, I'm going to ask you to do something because you're righteous and you're big and you're powerful. Verse 19, Lord, listen, Lord, forgive, Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. What a powerful prayer. David, excuse me, Daniel knows he's not a robot. That's why he's praying. He knows prayers matter. I love what uh, Charles Feinberg says. Read this with me. This verse teaches that biblical prophecy should bring us to our knees as it did Daniel. Daniel didn't just sit back and go, ah, God's just going to do what he wants to do. Daniel said, oh, God. I'm going to seek your face. I'm going to get on my knees. I'm going to cry out to you. Let's keep going. Verse 20. Here we go. Okay. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and making my request to the Lord, my God, for his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, which was an angel, we studied him last week, the man I'd seen in the earlier vision came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I've now come to give you insight and understanding. Daniel has prayed, and God is responding. And verse 23, as soon as you began to pray, a word went out, which I've come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Daniel's prayed about Israel's situation, God's brought a response. Okay, everybody say, I'm ready. I didn't, that, that, that didn't count. I say, everybody say, I'm ready. All right, I need you to be ready, okay? We're about to look at some of the most confusing verses in the whole Bible, and I need your heads here, and I need you to be ready, because this is really powerful and really awesome, and I pray that God makes it clear for you, okay? Therefore, consider, this is the answer the angel gives, therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy-sevens are decreed for your people. Okay, we're about to get into some confusing stuff. On Friday, I was going on over this message, and I'm in the office, and I got our staff, and I just said, guys, I set up a few seats, and I grabbed a little stand like this up at the property, and I said, guys, I need you to sit here for like five minutes, and I just need to preach this part of the message to you, because I need to just make sure it's going to come out clear, and they gave me some feedback that helped me out, all right? So what are these 77s all about? Can I trust what the Bible says about Jesus? That's what we want to get into here. If you're a skeptic, listen up. Okay? Pay attention for a few minutes. This is so powerful. Can I trust what the Bible says about Jesus? The sevens here refer to periods of seven years. Okay? And we're told that there were 77. So there were 70 periods of seven years. So any math people in the room, what's 70 times seven? Oh, you guys are really good. Like the 930, there was like one person like 490. Like you guys just nailed that. All right. So 490 years. So Daniel is told that, that six things will happen over a 490-year time span. Here are the six things. You ready? Verse 24. 77s are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression. And number one, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So those six things are going to happen over a period of 490 years. Now, the first one, Jesus started. Okay? He already started working on finishing transgression. The second one, Jesus started. 
the, the, the presence of sin is still around us, right? The power of it is broken. We're not slaves to it anymore, but it's still all around us. Like you go out and you yell at somebody in the street, somebody yells back at you, there's sin, right? You, you go out, you go home, there's going to be sin at work in our homes this week. It's just the way it is. We live in the world still with sin. Uh, atone for wickedness. This one Jesus completed. Done. There was only one time that all the wickedness that had ever been uh, committed or ever would be committed was atoned for or paid for, and that was at the cross when Jesus died for us. Bringing in everlasting righteousness, seal up vision and prophecy, and anoint the most holy place. That's all still coming. Let's keep going. No one understand this. Okay, everybody say, I'm ready? All right. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. So pause. There is a time in human history when a king named Artaxerxes told the nation, go rebuild Jerusalem. So keep that in mind, okay? Uh, until the anointed one. Anybody have an idea who the anointed one is? Jesus, right? That's literally what Messiah means, right? And so you have this period of time between the rebuilding of the temple or the word going out that the temple could be rebuilt to the time that Jesus comes. Until the anointed one, the ruler comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. So all the math people are like, this is the best day of church ever. And everyone else is like, kill me now, right? Okay. We have seven sevens and 62 sevens, and we're going to do that math in just a minute. And remember before, we heard a number, right, of 490. So everybody say 490. Just keep that in your mind. We're going to bring that back out later. Okay. It will be rebuilt. Talking about Jerusalem. Jerusalem will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one, Jesus, the Messiah, will be put to death and will have nothing. Okay. So let's do some math, okay? So seven times seven is? Okay. 49. Then we have 62 times 7. 434. 434 years. Some of you guys were close, all right? So now we have to add those two together, which I'll just do here on the screen for you, okay? That equals 483 years, okay? So now say 483. Okay, so we already have 490. Put that aside for a little while, okay? Here we are, 483 years. The verse told us that from the time Artaxerxes says you guys can go rebuild the temple, until the time of the Messiah would be 483 years. Now, this is important. The people of ancient days used a calendar that had 360 days, not 365 days. So we have to do that math to make sure everything averages out. And if we do that, the math comes out to 173,880 days, which on our calendar comes out to 476 years and 25 days from the mid-440s when Artaxerxes said, go build Jerusalem, and guess when it brings us to the early 30s AD, the time of Jesus. So, I know that was a lot, but if you're a skeptic and you're wondering, can I believe this Jesus stuff? Can I believe that God is really there? Can I believe that Jesus came? Here's Daniel writing in the 500 BCs about the mid-440 BCs all the way out to the early 30 ADs with this incredible numerical prophecy about when Jesus would come, and it talks about his death. Everybody say, wow, <laughs> that's pretty amazing. Can I trust what the Bible says about Jesus? Well, that's just one of over 300 prophecies we have in the Old Testament about what Jesus would come and do for us. You know, I've been a skeptic in my life at different times, and one of the things that so helped me was things like this, seeing that there are incredible things you can sink your teeth into that just blow our minds about what God has done. So remember, we had our 483-year stretch between the word going out about building the temple to Jesus coming. But remember we had that word, that number 490 before? Okay, some of you remember. Two of you remember. All right. So we had 490 
where all those six things were going to happen, right? Jesus was going to come do those six things, and all that stuff was going to happen. So now we have these two numbers left, right? We have 490, which was the original, original number Daniel was given. Then we have 483, which is what we just saw from the temple to Jesus. So what's 490 minus 483? All right, that's an easy one. Come on. Seven. Seven years, right? What's that seven-year gap? Why aren't they the same number? They're not the same number because that seven years is a separate time before the return of Jesus. A time held back out of the prophecies of Daniel. We had the 483, which nails it. Rebuilding of Jerusalem to the coming of Jesus, 483. But there's that seven-year time period remaining before the return of Jesus. And in in the next few verses, and I don't want to skip verses, right? We're going to read what the Bible says. In the next few verses, we see what will happen in that time. It says, the people of the ruler, who is the Antichrist, will come Destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. There's our seven years right there. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Now, don't freak out on me. Because last week, We spent our entire time together in Daniel chapter 8 looking at 12 reasons why we can trust God with our future. And that doesn't just cease to be once we start seeing things like this. And there are really smart people who have lots of different opinions about how this is all going to play out. And so I'm not about to weigh in on what I think about this, that, or the other. I would just say that you have like your pre-trib, your mid-trib, your post-trib, your beans and ribs. Like you have all kinds of thoughts and different people who are trying to figure this all out. And, and I, here's what I really do believe in all this. I really do believe that churches get so caught up in this stuff while there's a whole world of people outside that need Jesus. And so let's stay focused on that. And I also know that when this seven years is coming, it'll be really clear we're in it, if we're in it, depending on your theology. I would also say that we have an amazing Savior who carries us through the most incredible things. I said last week that most of us in back in 2020, we lived that worst fear scenario of our lives as we looked at what happened. And then like the whole world lived it at the same time. That's unprecedented. And we lost some people and we went through some really difficult things. But here we are. The Lord sustained us. The Lord carried us. He walked through a really difficult time with us. And so I'm not telling you today to be afraid. I'm telling you to be close to Jesus. Because if you're close to Jesus, then you're going to see him carry you through whatever the future holds. If you're close to Jesus, then you don't have to be fearful about the future. I love that old hymn, that old song, right? Like, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future, right? Life's worth just because he, life, life is worth living just because he lives. And so you and I are able to continue to just keep our eyes on him. Jesus, if, if, if I'm close to you, you're going to keep me. If I'm close to you, I won't have to worry about dates and times. It's going to be real clear what's going on. I'm just going to stay close to you, and you're going to empower me, and you're going to sustain me. You're going to do with me what needs to be done. So today was kind of like drinking out of the fire hose, right? I know it was a lot. I know it was a lot. I know kind of shot out a lot at you, and I just pray that you're full but not drowned. I pray that it's encouraged you. I pray that um, your faith is strengthened. And I just want to remind you of some of the things that we saw here today and learned. What do we do in desperate situations? We pray. And we fast and pray. Some of you guys are right there. Go for it. Seek the Lord. Pray. Fast and pray. If God is sovereign, why pray? Because our prayers matter. We're in a relationship with God and who wants to partner with us. Do any of us need to get real about the sin in our lives today? Just bring it to him. 
He loves you. He wants to, by his spirit, do the heavy lifting in our lives. What heart should we have toward people who aren't living for God? A heart of compassion, not shaking our fists, not pointing. It's a whole lot of we, God. Forgive us, God. Be at work in us, Lord. Save our nation. Save our island. Work in our schools. Work in our businesses. Does keeping the Old Testament law save us? No, it's there to protect us and restrain us and to show us we need a Savior. And can I trust what the Bible says about Jesus? Well, we looked at one incredibly detailed prophecy out of hundreds that were given. We can know that what the Bible says about Jesus is trustworthy. Next week, the story of Daniel continues. We got two weeks left. And I just want to remind you guys, if we grab a hold of what we heard today, that we'll pray powerful prayers that matter. We'll get real with God today about the issues in our lives. We'll have a heart of compassion toward those who don't know God. We'll rest fully on what Jesus has done for us and not try to save ourselves. And we'll trust what the Bible says about Jesus because it's loaded with incredible truth. Let's pray together. So God, I just come to you now and ask you, Lord, to do something powerful, God. And we're not just praying this prayer right now because it's how we transition the service, God. We, we believe that right now you're wanting to do some powerful things in our lives, God. And so we just ask you for help, Lord. I pray for the people that are in desperate situations. And as I pray for my wife, and as these people pray for all that's going on in their lives, Lord, that you would just come through in such incredible ways. That God, we would pray, that we would fast and pray, that we would seek your face, that God, we would remember it's because you're righteous that we can approach you, and you've made us right before your eyes be able to come boldly, the scriptures say, come boldly to you. So, Lord, we just ask you for help. As I pray for Kelly, I want to encourage you to pray for a desperate situation in your life. Let's just take a minute and do that. Maybe it's a wayward child, grandchild. Maybe it's just a painful relationship, provision. Thank you that these prayers matter, that you want us to partner with you in bringing about your will on earth, Lord. So we seek your face, God. If you're here today, you, you just have some sin in your life. You have some stuff you've been doing. You just know it's stupid, but it's there and kind of just been ignoring it or letting it happen. And today, I would encourage you to bring it to the Lord. He loves you. He can't wait to forgive you. He can't wait to, by his power, enable you to start seeing progress and change in your he does the heavy lifting. God, we want to have the heart of Daniel as it comes to those who don't know you, those who are living far from you. So God, we say forgive us, Lord. Forgive our nation for being far from you. Forgive our island. Forgive our community, Lord. Even our church, God. Forgive us, Lord ways that we've fallen short and just show up, God. Do something all on island. Do something in this area. Do something through this church, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, our families, God. Do the impossible, Lord. I thank you that no law saves us, God. There's one way up the mountain, so to speak. There's one way to you. Jesus, thank you for coming and being that way. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with God, I would love for you to put your trust in him today. You could just say something like this if you'd like to begin that conversation with him. You could say something like, Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for showing me that I need you. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you that you can't wait to forgive me. 
Thank you that you're a God with a covenant of love. Jesus, show us how close you are. Show me how much you love me. Show me, God, today that you want to do amazing things in my life. And would you put your spirit in me? God, I thank you that we can trust, trust the scriptures, that there are incredible truths in the word of God that we can cling to. And I just pray that we'll walk in such peace, Lord. Jesus, we keep our eyes on you. We praise you, God, for words like we get in that 483-year prophecy, God, right down to the moment. Thank you for the accuracy of your word, Lord. We love you, God.